We're delighted to have uh, the Mellor family with us today. Um, the Mellors are part of Church Central, and Church Central are really close friends of ours, another church in the city. And uh, particularly over recent years, they have given to us in many different ways to, to just bless us and to say, we're, we're on the journey with you. And this is another expression of that with uh, Johnny and Gemma and the, the children. Isaiah's in here with us at the moment as well, coming to spend the day with us. And we're going to hear from Johnny. Johnny's got a, a, a really profound teaching gift. He's an excellent communicator. So I just would love us to have a real open heart to hear what Johnny's going to bring to us. So I'm going to quickly pray for him and then I'm going to invite Johnny up. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for friendship with the other churches in the city. Thank you that we have such a good relationship with so many. Thank you that we are your bride all together within these different expressions. Thank you particularly, Lord, for Church Central, and thank you for uh, Johnny and Gemma and the rest of the family. I just pray that today you would bless Johnny as he comes to speak to us. Fill him with your spirit right now, and that that would pour into him and out from him to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah. Okay, cool. It's always daunting to have the word profound in your intro. So, uh, yeah, okay. Um, really good to be in Jesus' like that, because I was going to do a similar thing of like saying, hey guys, um, it's great to be here. Just uh, I know a number of you guys, and it's great to be with you for that reason. But as a representative of Church Central, uh, to be, I was going to say the same thing, which is a bit kind of awkward to say, hey, you guys are our best friends. And if you were like, who? Who are you? <laughs> it's like, you're that kid at school. He's like, you're my best friend. But yeah, I think it's, it's reciprocal. So that's a, that's a good thing. Um, and it's just amazing. I just thought the other day, I'd never been to an Oasis uh, Sunday service till today. I, I remember when this church was planted, like, Years ago, I was in Birmingham at the time, and uh, how I've managed not to manage to skip off a church central service. I mean, on the staff, it's harder, uh, but like before that, to come to Oasis, I've managed, and now I'm here. So great, thank you. It's uh, brilliant to be here. And um, when I've uh, thought of Oasis Sunday meetings, I've always imagined that you'd be quite a vocal bunch. That's what I, I would imagine. And uh, so you're the kind of church I, I would have thought would make your feelings known in answers to preachers' questions. Is, is that right? Yeah. <laughs> yes, good. So let's, let's go down that track for a minute. The, the Christian life, as we've sung, isn't it? It's a, it's a life full of joy and victory, and we love following Jesus. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah okay, cool. And of course, the Christian life also is um, really confusing and hard, and we often want to get out, don't we? Yes. yes. <laughs> okay, I should have had a decibel meter for which one of those got the more, more yes. Um, because those things are both true, those things. They seem wildly different, but they're, they're true statements, aren't they? They're, they're kind of both, and in a sense, they're true at the same time uh, in many sort of ways uh, as well. But I guess also some of us would probably lean towards one of them more than the other. If you're an optimist, you might land towards the, uh, the guy with the mug. Um, if you're a pessimist, well, the fingernails holding on, okay? And you know what? That's fine. That's not a one of them is not better than the other. Optimists need to learn from pessimists. Pessimists need to learn from optimists. Uh, that's, our character can lean us one way or another. Um, but in my experience, I guess, I find those two things moving in seasons in my life as a Christian. 
Um, I've been a Christian now, I think it's about 35 years, so it's a while. And particularly since the second half of that time, I kind of veered from the everything is awesome to holding on by my fingernails and finding it really tough. <laughs> and you know what? Um, the, the thing is, I've learned is, I will continue to do that, I think. And, because that's what being a Christian is. And you see that in the Bible, where you have instructions all the way through on one side, like be victorious, reign in life, and then you get this thing over and over again. If you read through from cover to cover, hold fast now, hold fast, hold fast. I don't know if you spot that. Well, why should I, why have to, I have to hold fast? It's great knowing Jesus. No, Johnny, wait, you'll find out because there are times where you have to hold fast. And uh, so I, I think those things go in, in seasons. And what I'd like to do today, I want to focus on one of those seasons, and that's the, um, the less awesome season. Uh, I'd like to focus on that one today and ask the question, uh, what do we do when we're in the being a Christian is hard and I almost want to give up season of things? <laughs> not, so, not so much response on that one. Uh, that's where I'm going to be today. Now, um, there'll be some of you here, maybe, a, maybe a, I don't know, can't take anything from whether you respond or not, but there might, I imagine there will be some of you here that for this will be a live question right now, and I hope then that this is going to help you out uh, to know how to, to get through this season. Uh, I hope that would be the case for you. There'll also be others of you, God bless you, uh, for whom it's not. And at the moment, being a Christian is a constant experience of, of joy and delight. And uh, every time you even think about praying, the presence of God descends, maybe in real dove form. I don't know how it works for you. Um, and, and, and every time you open the Bible, it's like, wow, that's just what I needed to hear today. It makes complete sense. And uh, there might be a temptation if you're in that, that boat, which just say, that's great. Really good if you are. Really good thing. Um, that you think, oh, this guy's, why invite him? He's a bit of a downer, really. And you might want to just block out what I'm saying. But for you, I don't want to be a downer to you. I just want to prepare you for when things change, when the seasons change for you. Because I don't want to be rude or kind of pessimistic, but they will change. That's what being a Christian is. And maybe for some of you, you just need to stick this in your back pocket today and say, you know what? I want to be prepared when that time comes. And so that's, that's for you. And there's one final group I want to single out before we, we go any further. And there, there could well be, and I hope this is the case, be those of you here today are thinking already, well, this isn't for me then, because I, I'm not a Christian. I don't follow Jesus at all. Um, so how am I going to hold on? I, I mean, that's not relevant to me. Well, for you guys, um, partly I'd like to give you and a bit of an expose on what it's like to be a Christian, warts and all, which will have some level of interest, I imagine, uh, for you. But uh, even more than that, um, as I open up why we as Christians hold on when things get tough, because I'm an example of a holder honor, I'm holding on at the moment. As, we, as I do that, I'd like to highlight that even at its worst, in my opinion, Christianity is a better way than any other worldview or way to live that's out there, and I'm going to explain why I think that is. That's what I'd like to do. And I'm not just explaining why I think that is. I want to go to passages of the Bible where this is discussed at length, and it's in John chapter 6. So if you've got a Bible, uh, if you can turn to John chapter 6, you've got a phone, whatever it is. I mean, I have a, it's just a couple of verses, really, I'm going to focus on, and they'll flash up here at some point. Here, this might be another one there. Screens in different places. Um, and so, but you, if you've got a Bible, it might be helpful because I'm just going to flick through some of the first bits. I want to give some context because the whole chapter, we need to kind of take it all in, really. And this is a, a chapter of two halves, uh, John chapter 6, and we see 
in just in a very short space of time, we see both extremes of the Christian experience given to us at once, almost just minutes after the other. Okay, not seasons, years apart. These are kind of minutes apart. And so the first half is the everything is awesome half. Okay, this is this is how it goes. The chapter starts with the feeding of the five thousand. Heard of that one? Okay, yeah, feeding the 5,000. They had very much less than your cake stall uh, as we came in today. Five loaves, two fish, about 5,000 men. So there's going to be more than that people on the hill. And what happens? Jesus feeds the whole lot of them with 12 baskets left over. That, as miracles go, that's pretty good. I mean, I don't know, if, you, if we make a league table of Jesus' miracles, I don't know if you've ever thought of this. Um, this. I don't think there's going to be one. I think one is the resurrection. Okay, I think that's number one. <laughs> But this is Champions League spots here, as far as I can see, okay? So feeding the 5,000, whoa, mind-blowing. And then it, almost in the chapter, it just throws in just after that. This is never really referred to again. It's, oh, yeah, and then he walks on water as well, does that a bit, and then walks on. I mean, that's got to be buying for Europa League spots, that one as well. So we've got, not a football church, okay? <laughs> so, let's say seventh. <laughs> Are we, Adrian? Are we a football church? Okay. <laughs> I'll just leave you to work that one out, you and Gus. Okay. <laughs> um, so he does these two miracles, and people are absolutely loving it. It says in verse 2 that already the crowds are there, starving on a mountainside, ready to be fed miraculously because of the miracles, the ones they'd seen already. Okay. So these two like, push them almost over the edge. It says that they, uh, that they basically they, they go to make Jesus king by force. Wow, that's how much they love this guy. This is almost kind of delirium going on here. It's like kind of, sign my shirt, Jesus. Battle of Jesus is great. This is the mob almost. It's like, well, he's great. It's like kind of um, a Beyonce fans on, on social media or something. Like, these guys are going for it. You didn't catch that story this week. There's a story about that. You can go to that later. Um, okay, so these guys, are, it's, it's, it's things are going really well. And it's the, the first half of John 6 is all the Christian life is full of joy and victory. We all love it. Why would we ever not want to follow this guy? And then everything changes. In a moment in the chapter, everything changes. The mood, the tumbleweed starts blowing. As Jesus then with this crowd of people who are like chanting his name, he goes, calm down, calm down. Let's just explain to you what I'm actually about. And he starts telling them about who he is and how he's, he's more than a person. Uh, he's better than Moses. He's like, that's confrontational because Moses is like their favorite person ever. And then he says like this, and I, I came from heaven, by the way. And they're like, it's a bit much. We, we know your family. We know you're from. I came from heaven. And he, he throws in these little tidbits uh, kind of just touching on the incredible mystery that even 2,000 years later is just a head-scratcher for us all of, you know, the Father and me, we're, we're kind of the same. I'm like, well, what? What is this? The theological nerds there, he also just even drops in a few predestination bombs into the mix as well. And he does all this while using this image for the whole chapter in his teaching. He takes this bread of life image from the, probably from the, from the feeding of the 5,000. It's the bread of life. I am the bread of life. But he takes it so far that people think he's advocating cannibalism. Seriously, they're like, what, what do you mean we can eat your flesh? I mean, the whole, it's a great chapter. It's worth really delving into. But, but it's confusing. It's hard. It's, it's difficult. And the tone shifts from complete adulation to what? To grumbling, it says. They start grumbling. And the grumbling starts with the, the Jewish leaders, and uh, those are the, the onlookers, so you'd expect that kind of thing, I suppose. But by verse 60, 
it gets a bit more serious. This is what it says in verse 60. Many of his disciples said, this is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? This isn't just the onlookers. These are his followers. And not just a couple around the edge, many of his followers. I'm just saying, that's not them playing devil's advocate here. That's not a rhetorical question. And we know that because four verses later, Jesus recapitulates a little bit of what he said. And then verse 66, at this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. This is just about, I don't know, 50 verses since he fed an entire hillside with bread and fish. Wow. I don't think things are any different now. Jesus' teachings, they're wonderful, they're glorious, they're life, but they're incredibly hard to swallow sometimes. I don't know if you're aware of that. Following Jesus is really tough. And it doesn't matter how many or how few mountaintop moments you've had in your spiritual walk, there will come a point, for most of us it's happened already, when you come smack bang against that hardness. And it happens again and again. And it could be intellectual problems, it could be the experience you're having, that you look at the Bible and go, yeah, this is great on paper, but what? could be any of those things. could be other Christians, could be your, yourself. You're trying to do this stuff, how can I do this stuff, you know? But when that happens, it's real and it's very painful, but you, it's so comforting. Now, the Bible doesn't shy away from that stuff. It tells us it will be like that, and it gives us help, and that's wonderful. Just as it was then... Tragically, it's the same now that because of these times, well, you guys are here, you're in the room today, so good work, you're here. But for many, just like then, they don't get over those difficulties and they leave. Now, I wonder whether for, for this room here, you, you would know, oh, yeah, them, they, they were in the room, they're not, they've, they've turned away and deserted him. I mean, I mean, Gemma would have the the experience that now we've got some groups of people who we hang out with a lot and have hung out with in the last 10 years or more, and, and those gatherings, when we have them, the tone of them has completely changed, and the reason is simple, that 10 years ago, everyone in the room was following Jesus, sometimes very fervently. Now we meet up, and in some cases, we're the only ones left. I don't know if any of you have that experience. That shakes you. That's hard when that happens. And so Jesus now turns to the disciples who are left, you guys, good work, everyone, well done, you're left. And he asked them a question, and he'd asked many of us the same question today. Verse 67, then Jesus turned to the 12 and asked, are you also going to leave? I don't think it's a needy question. I think it's a real question when everyone else is going. Are you also going to leave? And the rest of the time, I want to just examine the response to this question. Listen to what Peter says here. Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know you are the Holy One of God. Wow. Amazing. So, mate, I want to say that together. Can we, can we do that together uh, on that one? And I said, we do. I want to think, which are the bits that jump out of you here? Because there's so much going on here. It's amazing. Okay, so uh, Simon Peter replied, let's do it together. Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know you are the Holy One of God. Okay, that's like preacher kind of rhetoric, get the crowd involved stuff. At the end, we're going to say this again together, and I, I don't want you to say it unless you mean it. <laughs> Just say it like you mean it. Come on, Oasis. I don't mean like that. I mean, this is serious stuff. 
And we're going to say at the end, if you're like, yes, I'm in here. I don't care what's going on. It's hard. I'm in. Okay? We're going to say it again later. But let's just think about it for, for a moment. What's being said here? That'll be what bit jumps out at you. Maybe it's, I think someone, I got a whoop or an amen or something for this. So maybe this bit when it came is this last bit. We believe and we know you're the Holy One of God. I mean, that is an impressive statement. In fact, everyone's leaving. Things are hard. We believe and we know. A great evangelical word. We know that you're the Holy One of God. Gold star Peter. Good job. Maybe that, that gets you. Maybe it's a bit before, which is equally impressive. You have the words that give eternal life. That's pretty great too. No wonder this guy is like the pillar of the early church, like the most famous disciple. He's Mr. Faith here. This is good. And uh, I love those statements. And I love it when things like that pour out of the overflow of my heart, which they, they often do. But actually, I'm drawn to the first thing Peter says here, because it's incredibly strange. And if I was editing the Bible, it would not make the cut. Okay? What does he say to start with? Lord, to whom would we go? What was he saying there? He's saying, I'd really like to go, but I've just got no better options, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> It's funny, but it's like, it's also like really sad. <laughs> it's like, what? I think two things we can tell from this, uh, this statement, I think we can see. Firstly, Peter is taking the question really seriously. Do you want to go to? No, 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 of course not. Jesus, come on. We're the 12. We're not those flakies. Come on. We would never even think about leaving you. It, Peter tries that later. It doesn't go well for him, but he doesn't try it here. Maybe he should have tried this a, a bit better, you know. No, he, he considers it. He wouldn't have said that if he hadn't considered it. And what does he consider? Well, we can work that one out too from what he said. Imagine Jesus says, well, do you want to go? It's like Peter goes back and goes, okay, let, let me think. I want to take this question seriously. What does he consider? Does he consider the miracles? Does he consider Jesus' teachings? Does he consider how kind he is to people? Does he consider the Old Testament prophecies about Jesus? Well, no, it doesn't seem he does. He doesn't think about Jesus at all. He casts his mind over the alternatives. Okay, let's think. I could do that. Oh, no, not so good. Could do that. No, no. Who else would I go to? He's basically agreeing at first on the basis of the fact that the alternatives don't seem any good. That seems to be what he's starting with. Now, on its own, that doesn't seem like a particularly good response from Mr. Faith, does it? It's, it's, it seems a little bit negative, okay? I, I agree with that completely. But work with me here, because we know where he ends up at the end of this. We end up with, we believe and we know you're the Holy One of God. So if starting like this, if this train of thought got Peter from there to there, I wonder if we could do a thought experiment. And see if we can recreate the same kind of train of thought and see if it gets us to the same place. Okay, you up for that? That sounds fun. Okay, so let's spend some time considering the alternatives, shall we? I think, do you want to go? Do you want to leave? Your friends, your family, maybe they've gone. Maybe you'll find it difficult. Maybe everything is like, oh, I'm sticky. I like the family, but really that bit of the Bible, really this. Really, those Christians, that I don't want to be associated with those Christians. What am I going to do? Well, let's think about it for, for a moment, shall we? And the goal is, and I think we're going to get there, because I think this doesn't just work for Peter. I think this is incredible wisdom from God for us. The goal is, you'll see, is the same. This will be end for Peter. Okay? If we deserted Jesus, to whom could we go? I think we could go to two, two main options, I think our culture is flagging to us at the moment. We could go to reason, or we could go to feelings. 
Those are our two options. We can go to reason or we can go to feelings. I want to break down what I mean by either of those things. If we were to turn our backs on Jesus, we would still have to make sense of the world that we live in. That would be the case for any of us, whether we've never been a Christian, whether we're a Christian, whether we were a Christian, if that statement makes any sense. Um, we wouldn't have Jesus' wisdom anymore, so what have we got? How can we make sense of the world? Well, we could do it through reason, through our power of clever thinking. That could be a good option. And in a sense, we don't have to imagine what that would look like, because that's what Western culture has actually done. They've done this. We can see this played out collectively in front of us, and we have seen this for a long time. So England used to be, in one way or another, a Christian nation, as I'm sure that many of us are aware. Buildings like this are everywhere around the place, okay? Um, We're a Christian nation, people from inside England and outside of England, until probably 60 years ago or so, they said, what's England? England's a Christian nation. And that would have been pretty unanimous. Now, just to be really clear, I just need to say this whenever I say this, uh, that sort of statement, I'm not saying, oh, for the, the golden days, to go back to those wonderful times. No, there were some real problems with that, you know, uh, in the past. And so I'm not saying we want to go back. I'm just saying that was how it was. In some way, Jesus' teachings were educational and were for, for most people on some stuff. Okay, it was in the ether, culturally. But that was then, and this, of course, is now. And there are still lots of these sort of buildings around. It's just hardly anybody goes to them, some of them. It's different now. Our culture has turned its back on Christianity, and we're now a proudly secular nation. And actually, what that looks like is the prevailing worldview now would be uh, to, to rely on human reason. To rely on clever thinking by people. And so the, the uh, highest expression of reason in many people's minds would be science. Uh, kind of being challenged a little bit at the moment, this, but uh, this would be how it's been for most of my lifetime. And science presented this like heroic torchbearer, bringing us into this future of like away from silliness and superstition into kind of everlasting joy and no sickness. And if the transhumanists are to be believed, no death and stuff like that. That's how it's kind of played, painted, but reason is the key. And we can rely on reason. We don't need Jesus, we can rely on reason, we can turn to reason. I think it sounds pretty compelling in many ways, but actually it's, it's completely hollow, totally hollow. You might be here thinking, well, of course you'd say that, wouldn't you? Because you are a Christian, A. B, you're a preacher, your job is on the line here, and C, you've already told us that, you, some of these are a little flaky, you're holding on, okay? you told us those things, so you're obviously going to say that. Um, but it's fascinating how uh, that view is being uh, increasingly pointed out by those who have absolutely no stake in Christianity, who don't even like Christianity uh, more and more uh, in the world around us. I'll give you an example. Uh, an ex a professor at the London School of Economics, a guy called John Gray. Has anyone come across this guy before? I'll introduce you to John Gray. This is, this is good. John Gray, a book called Straw Dogs is my recommendation. He is a very well-respected cultural commentator and an atheist. Uh, okay? And uh, John Gray's, the picture he paints in all of his writings, if you don't want to pay for them, YouTube will probably do it for you. Okay? Uh, the picture he paints in all of his writings and teachings and uh, lectures and all of that sort of stuff is that modern secular humanism, based upon reason, is a completely incoherent muddle that is trying to have its cake and eating it and failing miserably. That would be his kind of headline, John Gray. That's what he writes and talks about. And uh, 
He's not a Christian, as I've said, and he doesn't like Christianity at all. But he points this out. He points out that all the values that we hold dear in our society, let's list a few, uh, equality, human rights, progress. Let's stick with those three. He'd say, these values, we only have them because once our culture were Christian. They come from Christianity. He goes even further than that, actually. He says that some of the most basic assumptions we have as people just to live a human life, um, that there is right and wrong that are real things, that we have free will, that our choices are, in a sense, our choices, um, that there is meaning to life, that there is a, a, a significance to human life that's special and different to animal life, all of those things, okay, that we just think, oh, I never think about them, they... They're just there, aren't they? He'd say, those things too are only there because you all used to be Christians in your culture. The thing is, we, of course, as a culture, have deserted Christianity, John Gray says, uh, but we thought we could keep hold of all the bits that came along with it. It's a bit like you build a house. You think you remove the foundations of the house, but you still want the house to stand. It doesn't work, really. Okay, Sid helped build our house. He's around somewhere. That's, I think that, Sid will tell you if you need. It doesn't work. Okay, can't take the foundations out in that sort of way. Once the Christian worldview is left behind, actually, all we've got are natural processes that are essentially based upon chance. And therefore, for us as humans, we become just another group of things among other groups of things. And as the uh, renowned chemist Peter Atkins put it, I think he's correct from this worldview. If you take that view... Human beings are as valuable as slime mold. Nice. Thanks, Peter. Okay? John Gray would agree. So what's John Gray's alternative? What does he say it looks like to desert Christ and turn to reason? This is the conclusion of his book, Straw Dogs. This is amazing. Amazing sentence. Okay? Other animals do not need a purpose in life. A contradiction to itself, the human animal cannot do without one. Can we not think of the aim of life as simply being to see? Just think about that. There's a lot going on there. Can we not think of the aim of life simply being to see? We obviously don't have any purpose. We obviously don't have any real say in any of our actions because they're controlled by things outside of our, our lives anyway. We're not even individual things. We're just a collection of stuff. Can't we just passively let life happen to us? That is what John Gray would say. You turn from Jesus, you get a reason, that's where you end up. Okay? You might want to take that off. Let's consider that one for yourself. But maybe, just maybe, some of us are thinking, have you got a better one, Johnny? Is there something better for us here? Well, maybe there is. Let's look at the second one our culture would, would fling towards us at the moment. And that is, don't, don't, no, let's not go with reason too much. Let's go with feelings. That's what we could do. Let's try that one out for size and see what happens. Because you see, if we turn from Jesus... We've not just got to make sense of the world we live in, but we've also got to make sense of ourselves. Maybe it's even more important. The question, who am I, is a question that every human being has asked and does ask and has to ask in some sense and have some sort of answer to. Jesus has a very thorough answer to the question, who am I? You want to know sometimes why it takes so long to read the Bible? It's because there's a thoroughness to this worldview, Okay. But if we ditch Jesus, where do we go on this? Now, at this point, our culture would step in and go, Johnny, step aside. I'm so glad you asked. I've got an answer. The who am I? The identity question. Our culture would say, we're really good at this. We've nailed this one. And I will tell you all, please, that Jesus, kind of 
nice fellow, but this is way better. And it's almost like our culture puts this almost, it should be on the front of the brochure for Western 21st century culture. We know the answer, who am I? And it's, they present it like, uh, I think it's often presented uh, in different ways, like uh, in, in the past, there's all these people who thought about these things, and they're like going up the mountain, but they're, they're kind of a little silly. Uh, and now we've got to now, and we've got the pinnacle of all human wisdom on the questions of identity. We'll tell you who you are and how to find out how to do it. <gasps> Their answer is this. Who are you? It's totally down to you. Totally down to you. <sighs> How do you find out? Look to your feelings. You'll find out who you are. And just whatever you do, don't let anyone else from outside interfere with your view of who you are. You are who you feel that you are. Find a mic at this point, I could just drop it right like that now. Thank you and good night. Western culture! <laughs> that, that looks great in a music video. And it looks great in the character arcs of a Netflix drama. But let's think about it for a moment. And uh, you might know time is ticking, but I don't think we have to think about this for very long, if I'm being honest. I want to say two things about this. One thing is this, and it's worth noting this. This is a completely novel approach to the question of identity. Totally novel, I'll give it that, okay? It would be fair to say that no other civilization in history has ever seriously considered answering the question like this. Because the consensus of human wisdom in almost every culture in history, is when you're asking the who am I question, you get the answer from outside of yourself. People have said in different places, but it's almost unanimous, you get it outside yourself. It could be tradition, it could be the community, the elders, your family, it could be the, a sacred order to things, it could be God or religion. But it's always outside ourselves. But not in the 21st century Western culture. We do the opposite thing. No, no, how do you find your identity? We find it by relying on our own feelings, and we're actively encouraged to resist anyone from even sharing their opinion on this matter if it disagrees with us. So that's the first thing to say, completely novel. The second thing probably explains why it's completely novel. Because however much makeup you apply to this idea, when you examine it closely, it really doesn't look very promising. Listen, imagine, if I say to you, who am I? There's some assumptions, there's some things you can assume about me. If I'm asking the question, I'm saying to you, I do not have the resources, or I don't feel that I have the resources to answer this question, please help me. No, no, that's what a question is. If I go to you, who am I? You say, you work it out. It's, you do it. All you're saying is, I'm really sorry, I don't have any idea what the answer to your question is. It's a complete non-answer to the question. It's a total cop-out. The, the very asking of the question is to admit I don't know, and yet you tell me, well, you decide. It's avoiding the question. It's basically saying, when we strip off the mask, this is what our culture is saying to us. We are so intellectually bankrupt now that we have nothing to help you with here on the most fundamental human question. We've got nothing to give you. We've got nothing to offer you. No one can help you. You are totally, absolutely, unredeemably alone. That's desperate. That's lonely. It's hopeless. And that's what our culture trumps best. That's its best thing. 
So if we turn from Christ, we could turn to our feelings. We could go there. Now, there are other avenues we could pursue, obviously, uh, because of time and also because I think those are the two biggies at the moment that are thrown to us. I want to leave it there. But I want to ask, as we draw to a close, what does it do to us when we leave it there? What, what happens? What's, what's now happening to me? I've, I've looked. I've, Jesus says, do you want to leave? And I'm like, Peter, hmm, okay. some options. That one, no. That one, no. There's no surprise. I'm sure this is no surprise. I don't like either of those two options. I think they're very bad, okay? <laughs> um, but where do, I, where do I sit now? Because I notice something now. Because I'm saying to Jesus, I come back to Jesus often and say, Jesus, you know what? I've got nowhere else to go. My bridges are burnt. I'm with you. I come to them regularly. I think it's funny as a laugh. I don't know if you ever do that. I think that's, I don't know if I'm just strange. I am a bit strange. But that, I think that's normal. Peter did it. He did it for a second maybe, but he did it. But something else happens to me at that point. Naturally, I don't, I don't just go, well, all right, there's no one better out there, so I might as well keep being a Christian. Pays the bills. Okay? Not all of you can say that. Come here. I don't end there. No, no. I start being a natural drawing to the rest of the kind of things that Peter says. I mean, this kind of, these other declarations of faith start tumbling into my mind and out of my mouth. I wasn't even thinking about Jesus before. I was genuinely considering, look, is there somewhere better than this? This is hard. But now suddenly I look back at Jesus and I want to praise him more than what I did before. Because when I realize what the alternative options are lacking... I begin to truly appreciate the things that Jesus offers me that I've completely taken for granted. So when I consider seriously turning to a life of purposelessness, I appreciate the meaning and purpose that Jesus brings. And if you often think of that, do you know that waking up in the morning knowing why you're alive is not just an inevitable result of having opposable thumbs? It's not. In fact, many worldviews, most other worldviews, would redefine the words meaning and purpose so much that even if you poke them a bit, they disappear completely. But not Jesus. As a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, he has filled my life with meaning and sends me out with a purpose that has eternal significance. Jesus, thank you for your words of eternal life. Where did that come from? I was the morose guy a minute ago. That's what happens. When I consider turning to a life of hopelessness, I appreciate the hope that Jesus brings. And I is big on hope. But for me, uh, most of my Christian life, I've just taken it completely for granted. It's like, well, yeah, everyone's got to have hope, haven't they? <laughs> you can't live your life, so everyone must have hope. Um, but recently, particularly, just I've seen this, that this is not to be assumed. In fact, the word again changes. For most people, hope is how we use it in like, normal parlance. is at best, crossing our fingers and hoping for the best. Although we really don't think it's likely it'll happen. That's what it is for many people. Increasingly now, I think more than when I've, in my, any other time in my life, for many, they are openly coming to terms with the fact they have no reason for hope at all. That's become like, no, of course it's not hope. Let's make do. I don't think you can make do, but I don't have to make do. Because as a follower of Jesus, I have a deep-rooted, substantial, genuine, historically attested hope that however tough it's going to be, and it is going to be tough, history is moving inevitably towards goodness winning, towards love triumphing, and towards justice getting done. That's not crossing my fingers. I'm going, where's the word, quick? Quick. 
Now, Jesus rose again from the dead. We see the records here. It's hope. When I consider a life of cold, cosmic isolation, I start to cherish the personal saviour at the heart of my worldview. Remember, this isn't just a list of beliefs that I think. This isn't just a list of rules that I do. This is intimate connection with the centre of all reality. And what's more, he made us, it says in his word, in his image. So actually, as St. Augustine put it, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. When I survey the alternatives to Jesus, I find myself moving from, Lord, to whom would we go, very quickly to, you have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know you're the Holy One of God. Just backtrack on one word, two words I said there. I, I say very quickly. I'm doing this in preacher fashion. This doesn't happen instantly in my experience. Sometimes it's not very quickly. Sometimes it's weeks. Sometimes it's months. Kind of, I'm just coming back to this. I'm coming back to this. But you know what, guys? It does happen. It does happen. And my holding on at those points is seasons of holding on. And suddenly I realize, why was I holding on? Being a Christian is the best thing ever. You forget what it was like when you move into the other season. But sometimes it's like, Johnny, remember. Just hold on to these things because sometime soon that's going to happen again. And then you're back with your mug, singing Lego songs. <laughs> so in a moment, I'll, we're going to just together, I just want us to, if you want to, uh, reassert our faith in Jesus today, wherever you're at. Okay? Um, but just uh, before I do that, just to return to a group I mentioned right at the beginning. Those of you here who aren't Christians, and um, the last thing I want to say is, is to you is that I know a lot of this talk hasn't been actively addressed to you. I've been talking to those who are, are Christians but I think there is a clear application for you too, which I'd like to just I'd like to put in front of you. And that is, I'd really advise you start following Jesus too. That would be where I'd be at. Now, as I've said all along, I, I'm not going to sugarcoat it for you. Being a Christian is really hard. It's, uh, following Jesus is full of challenges. And some of them are very significant. Jesus doesn't offer you an answer-giving machine to all of the questions that life can throw at you. Although, sadly, that's how it's presented so much of the time. Jesus doesn't give you a get-out-of-jail-free card from suffering. And you know that. But what he does offer is this. He offers a place to go where there is meaning. He offers a place to go where there is hope. And a place to go where there is deep, mysterious, but very real love at the center of everything. In a second, I'm going to stand with a number of you guys, and I'm going to say... You know what, those words are on the screen, I'm going to say them. And as I do so, what I'm saying is, for you, I'd like to consider, this is, if you want to say these words, I'd just say this. This is what you're saying, really, is, I would choose Jesus with all the struggles than to have the struggles removed and have Jesus gone. That's what I'm going to be saying. And if you're up for saying that too, could you um, rise to your feet and let's say this together, I'm going to pray for you and hand back to Mike. Just before that, just let's have a moment's peace from my voice. Hopefully God's voice can speak to us, but also your brain can do some thinking. Just process. This is based on process. And if here today you'd say, look, I'd rather have Jesus with all the troubles than to lose the troubles and lose Jesus. I'd like to just say after me, you might want to open your eyes unless you've got a very good memory. Um, Simon Peter replied, 
Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know you are the Holy One of God. Holy Spirit, we uh, thank you that today we remember when you uh, uh, broke in that universal kind of like available to everyone way on Pentecost. And even as we say those things, for some of us, they seem so easy, these words. I want to pray you'd have mercy on those of us who are finding this easy, Lord, because we, we know that this can be tricky, Lord. If, that, if some of us are just ignoring things and just living with their head in the clouds, have mercy on the Spirit of God, come and put these things in our heart deep, Lord God. Put them deep so that whatever happens, whatever the world throws at us, Lord, we would cling on to you and it would be not a, not a negative, just kind of getting through, but a robust, rich faith, Lord. I want to pray for those of us for whom this is very real. Lord, Holy Spirit, come. Lord, we, we, we can't engineer this ourselves. Lord, we, we, can't, we can't summon this up. We can't do it. We can't get to the top of that mountain ourselves. I can't even put my next foot forward myself, Jesus. But thank you, you've given us your spirit, Lord. Holy Spirit, fill us, we pray. And we do ask for, for different struggles, things that would fall into place in our minds. Lord, for our circumstances, we pray for answered prayers. Lord Jesus, we ask most of all, Jesus, come close to us. God, we, we want to ask her. It's a silly prayer because we know you promise you won't, but as we say, we, we're not going to desert you. Would you say, would we say as well, Jesus, please don't desert us. Please don't desert Oasis Church. Please don't desert Church Central. Please don't desert the Mellor family. Please don't desert any of these dear people here, Lord. Thank you. We can say that in such faith to the God who says, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. Amen. Jesus, we love you. Amen. 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 Can, we just, um, can we just give Johnny a, a round of applause and appreciation? I think Johnny's served us so well, and um, actually, it's really important that we're honest and that we don't present a mask that everything's okay when sometimes it's really not. Um, but in those moments, to receive a word from outside of ourselves to say, "Look, look at Jesus," and to hear Jesus saying, "Follow me." And it might be there are one or two who particularly need others to stand with you. Not at the moment retreating into how you feel or your own thoughts to get yourself through, but to receive some support from others. That following Jesus is a team sport. You know, we, we do it together with church. If you'd, if you'd like someone to stand with you this morning, pray for you, then there's going to be a group of us here at the front who will speak a word over you um, and to, to help you in this moment in time to stand with you.